Welcome to the In The Clouds podcast. In The Clouds is a marketing cloud podcast powered by Lev, the most influential marketing-focused Salesforce consultancy in the world. Lev is customer experience obsessed, and podcast hosts Bobby Tishy and Cole Fisher have partnered with some of the world's most well-known brands to help them master meaningful one-on-one connections with their customers. In this podcast, they'll combine strategy and deep technical expertise to share best practices, how-tos, and real-life use cases and solutions for the world's top brands using Salesforce products today. Welcome to the In the Clouds podcast. This is Bobby Tishy along with Cole Fisher, and we are introducing the Fireside Chats and conversations that we're recapping from Ultraviolet, Love's first remote conference um, that we had uh, back in April, 2021. And this first one is with uh, Cole and I's former boss, Scott Dorsey. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh, yeah. I mean, we were like levels yeah. down the chain, but I mean, technically he was our boss. He was a little further up. Yeah, he kind of, he kind of did well, you know, probably <laughs> further along in his career than you or I are. I mean, he's not hosting an In the Clouds podcast with Bobby Tish and Cole Fisher, but you know, he's he's doing okay. Hopefully, at some point, things will start looking up for him. <laughs> <laughs> so, for those of you who don't know, Scott Dorsey was the co-founder and former CEO of Exact Target, uh, which went public, um, and then also was ultimately acquired as uh, by Salesforce, which is now affectionately kind of the cornerstone for Salesforce Marketing Cloud. So um, he sat down with the CEO of Love, Michael Burton. Hope you guys enjoy. Hello, welcome to Ultraviolet. Um, this is really exciting. I'm Michael Burton. I'm the CEO of Lev. So for our very first keynote today, I'm excited and fortunate to be able to welcome Scott Dorsey, Managing Partner at High Alpha. Also, former CEO of Exact Target and co-founder of Exact Target, which was acquired by Salesforce back in 2013, eventually became Salesforce Marketing Cloud. Scott, uh, again, thank you and, and welcome. Hey, thanks, Michael. Uh, I'm really honored to be here, and uh, congratulations on your first user conference. This is quite special. Yeah, it's fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to hopefully next year being back in in Indianapolis, having everyone face to face, kind of recreate some of that connections magic from from years ago for sure. Absolutely, I can I can picture you coming out uh, coming out on the stage with music blaring and a big big crowd. So <laughs> what we can uh, we can wish for next year. I love it, especially as an introvert. That's exactly what I need. Lots of <laughs> lots of music and build up. No pressure on me whatsoever. That's right. That's right. Scott, when I said fortunate, I, I, I really mean that because I think back about my role now at Lev, uh, I'm thinking about even just this event and Lev in the current format that exists today, it, it just wouldn't be around without the connections back to Exact Target and that, that foundation that where many of us are rooted in. And for those that are maybe unfamiliar with Exact Target, can you maybe just take a couple minutes and talk about the, the history of Exact Target and how it led up to, to Salesforce? Yeah, it'd be, be my pleasure, Michael. And, uh, you know, I, sincerely, this is, a, this is a joy for me to be a part of the program today. So we, you know, we started Exact Target in early 2001, a very long time ago. And we were so fortunate. We were three first-time entrepreneurs uh, with very little technical skills. But we, uh, you know, we had a vision that, you know, marketing was going to be transformed with the advent of the Internet. And, uh, and we're so fortunate, Michael. We caught the wave of, of digital marketing. We caught the wave of software as a service and cloud. And we you know, built a really special culture and very special group of people in Indianapolis that, that love marketers and love serving marketers. And we, we just had this extraordinary journey. We started out serving very small customers, like really small, you know, think kind of mom and pop retailers. And then by the end of our, our journey, you know, we were serving clients like Nike and Bank of America and Expedia and Microsoft. And, and the whole journey was just pretty, pretty remarkable and very special for us. We ended up building the company to about 2,000 employees with offices all over the world. We went public on the New York Stock Exchange in March of 2012. And then uh, Salesforce knocked on our door about a year later, and we joined Salesforce in summer of 2013, and that, that proved to be a, a wonderful decision for our customers and for our employees. So, you know, end to end, it was, you know, just kind of the experience of a lifetime. And I'm very grateful for it. 
That's great. When did that's an awesome story? And and I was fortunate. To, I was I started Exact Target in May of 2013. So I got a whole a whole month in <laughs> before the news of the Salesforce acquisition, but still was excited to be a part of the family and, and be a part of that entire journey. When did when did you feel like there was something there was something special with Exact Target? Yeah, probably similar to you, Michael. You know, with your journey at Lev, you know, in the early days. You're just trying to kind of make the business work, you know, kind of one one foot in front of the other. You're you're trying to survive and build product and services and serve customers. And then over time, you start to realize, you know, you're onto something and you start to see some early signs of impact. And and for me, you know, there's so many little experiences along the way, but two that I would highlight, Michael, the first was our decision to be a downtown company. So, you know, early kind of early 2000s, all tech companies were, were kind of up in the suburbs. You know, think office park and big parking lots with lots of free parking. And it was not an obvious decision to be a downtown company. Where do you park? There wasn't a lot of downtown development. There was no tech downtown, but it was really important to me to be an urban company. We wanted a little bit of an urban edge and our competitors were all coastal. So we were competing against companies in New York and Boston and Atlanta and San Francisco. So having that downtown edge you know, I thought was important and also thought it would make Exact Target a more attractive employer, you know, for young talent. And, and that really, really happened. So that that's when I think I first started feeling the impact. We moved to Monument Circle in 2005 and we were, you know, creating so many jobs and growing very quickly. We had to add a second building and a third building. And, and I feel like we certainly were not the singular reason, but we were on a parallel track with kind of this renaissance of downtown Indianapolis, where more and more housing was being built and wonderful restaurants were being opened and hotels were moving into the city. And that's when I started to feel like we were making a difference. I also felt like the city and the state were just cheering us on every step of the way. I never I never would have imagined, you know, Michael, that I would be, become close friends with you know, the mayor of Indianapolis or the governor of Indiana, and they'd be, you know, kind of cheering us on as we created more kind of high-tech, high-paying jobs. So that was very rewarding. And then the second memory or experience that I would highlight, which I think is very akin to, to what, we're, uh, what we're all gathered around today, was our user conference connections. You know, we started out very small. It was important for us to hold connections in Indianapolis and, and make it a celebration of digital marketing and celebration of our, our ecosystem. Really the only time each year when our customers, partners, and employees would come together in a special way to, to learn together and be inspired together. And that that became quite a force. You know, we we ended up having five, six thousand marketers from all over the world travel to Indianapolis. And you could just feel the impact of the city, you know, the hotels filling up and the restaurants. And we were we were really, really proud to show off our city and show off our team. You know, ultimately our our greatest competitive advantage was our our remarkable team of people and our culture and connections was always like the moment where uh, all of that you know came to life. That, that's great. And I, I'm thinking about it too. From a we're now eight years, almost eight years since the acquisition by Salesforce, which just seems like it just flew by. And it's you know, what you all built is still having an impact. You know, like Lev in its current form five years ago. It didn't exist. And we're about 300 people now. We'll probably be around 400 people by the end of the year. And I think around half of us are, are in the Indianapolis area and the rest are spread across the, uh, the, the entire U.S. We're starting to grow globally. So that, you know, that's an impact eight years past acquisition. Did, did you ever think that, that that impact would resonate so far out in the future? No way. You know, Michael, I, you're so busy, you know, kind of building the company and, and trying to reach your full potential. It's kind of, you know, it's hard to imagine what life after looks like. And, you know, for 12 or 13 years, you know, I thought about, you know, nothing else besides, you know, kind of family and friends, just digital marketing and how to help exact target reach its full potential for us to be eight years post acquisition and still feel like exact target has an impact and lives on in, in some ways. And you're so, you're so kind and gracious, you know, Michael, the highlight, Lev's growth and impact, you know, being a byproduct of Exact Target, that's that's a very generous attribution. And I'm I'm really, you know, proud to hear that. It's also so fun for me to see so many Exact Target alums working at Lev, growing their careers, making an impact. And then even my daughter Lily works at Lev, you know, so that's and, and she loves it, by the way. And that's that's life, you know, really coming full circle. But the um I think of exact target is like the gift that keeps giving, Michael. It's just, mm -hmm. it's, it's so rewarding to me personally. And I, I believe to all of us who are a part of it. And that takes many shapes, many shapes and forms. 
we started a foundation, the Exact Target Foundation, and then post-acquisition, we spun out the foundation under a new brand called Next Tech, and we focus on computer science education throughout the state of Indiana. So we work with K-12 schools, help them provide equitable access to building tech and digital skills, inner cities, rural areas. That, that's still living on in a really meaningful way. And then also, I think in, in a lot of special ways, our culture still lives on. And we'll, talk, we'll talk, probably talk more about culture, but this exact target orange kind of vibe and culture still lives on in, in, in lots of ways. And I think in all the people who are part of this special experience together. So, so the impact, the ongoing impact is, is honestly kind of well beyond, you know, my wildest dreams, but it, it's something I'm very, very grateful for. Yeah. We'll definitely want to come back and talk about the brand and culture. That's something that we, we focus a lot of our time and attention to at lab. One of the things I was thinking about the, the trajectory of exact targets and then um, going public acquiring Pardot. And then the Salesforce acquisition, one of the questions I've, I've always been interested in knowing for, from your point of view, why, why was Salesforce the right choice? Hmm. Yeah, really, for so many reasons. It was interesting, Michael. We, we always had kind of a big brother, little brother relationship with Salesforce. You know, as they were building the sales cloud, we were building the marketing cloud and we, we learned from them in every way we could. Like we, we tore every page out of the playbook that we could. We actually integrated with Salesforce prior to the app exchange even existing. You know, we, we definitely had a vision that the future of digital marketing was about leveraging data. And we knew we had to integrate in a, in a very open, seamless way with every data source imaginable. And that led us very early to integrating with Salesforce. So our, our products fit together really, really well in the early days. And then we did a lot of co-marketing and co-selling and you know, built a really strong partner relationship. But what was interesting is we, we were a public company. We had been public for 12 months. Everything was going remarkably well. And, and we enjoyed being an independent pu public company. We really did. And then, uh, and then Salesforce kind of came knocking. And um, it, was, it was just a perfect match. You know, Salesforce was so strong in sales and service cloud. Marketing cloud was just getting developed. They had done two acquisitions, as you know, in the social space, Radiant 6 and Buddy Media. And their customers, their clients we're really asking for more. You know, they were asking for Salesforce to be the marketing database of record. They were asking for multi-channel communication that was orchestrated and coordinated. And those were all technologies, you know, that we built at Exact Target. And what, what gave me a lot of confidence, Michael, was that our, our values were very aligned. Salesforce and Exact Target both focused on innovation, remarkable focus on the customer and making our customers successful. And then also philanthropy and the, the Salesforce Foundation and the Exact Target Foundation fit together very, very nicely. And, and my hope, and, and there, there, there was no, no guarantee, but my hope was that Salesforce would fall in love with Indianapolis and would accelerate investment and make even a, a more meaningful impact on the community than I felt we could as an independent company. And, uh, you know, once again, to see that many years later, just how well it's worked out, that's that's. That's a wonderful feeling. Yeah, and 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 to Salesforce's credit, they can. That was their. Yes, they had the the Buddy Media and Radiant Six, but yeah. uh, Exact Target was the really the first big jump into marketing and thinking about B two C. And you look at just the past eight years, what they continued to do, whether it was Datarama, they acquired a company called Evergage. You know, they're building um, customer three hundred and sixty audiences, so they're very much kind of learning from where kind of Exact Target was and about that customer. And just continue to expand upon that. And we'll hear a lot about that over the next couple of days. But it's it is interesting to see going from even thinking about email to doing everything from paid media. And now we're thinking about where does SEO fit into the mix? It's just it's exciting to see how quickly things have changed and, and Salesforce and clearly exact target was a big piece of that. So that's exciting that that's continued forward. You talk about the investment in in indie. What other kinds of, of, of where else have you seen that pay off as far as that investment back in the indie community post-acquisition? Sure. Well, I think the most visible way is the Salesforce Tower. You know, so th those of us that live in Indianapolis, so those of you on the line that have visited Indy, will now recognize that the tall, you know, literally the tallest building in the state of Indiana is the Salesforce Tower. And that's, that's magical. That's so important for our community to really create an identity around tech. Prior, it was a Chase Tower. We've been kind of a banking and an Eli Lilly town, you know, for many, many years. And for the Salesforce Tower to be a daily reminder that Indy is an innovative place and we're leaning in on tech 
is is really, really special. So I think probably above all, Michael, that might be the, the greatest legacy. But Salesforce has absolutely fulfilled their commitment to investing in our community through the Salesforce Foundation. And that you know continues to pay off for our city in, in many, many special ways. Great. I, I have to ask, what what was it like uh, working alongside of Mark Benioff? It was it was it was a wild experience, uh, Michael. <laughs> Uh, so I, I was a part of Mark's executive team for a little over a year. I was a direct report, which was an amazing experience. And for starters, he run he runs in some very different circles than I do. You know, I'm I'm just kind of a little humble Midwestern guy. And it was just fun, honestly, just to get a peek into his world. And his world is is really quite extraordinary. Not uncommon, honestly, that he would like be having lunch with President Obama. And then two hours later, he and I would be doing our weekly one-on-one, you know, so he, he was able to zoom out, you know, and impact the world in many special ways, but then also zoom back in on the business. And, you know, I think, I think everyone knows about Mark that he's an extraordinary visionary uh, and he, he really, really is. He's always thinking kind of two or three dream forces out and has teams working on a new technology. And he speaks often of this beginner's mind that boy, I, I try to emulate and learn from, but just having a natural curiosity, you know, to everything you do and really having a beginner's mind. And he really lives it, Michael. Here's a, here's a funny story. One of my, one of my favorite stories. So we had just been acquired. Mark's my new manager. You know, that's intimidating. I'm, I'm a little nervous about that. I, other than my board of directors, you know, I really hadn't had a boss, hadn't had a manager in a long time. And we're just kind of getting to know each other. And I was, supposed to run over to one of the local hotels and have a one-on-one with him. So I, I zip over there. You know, I'm early, of course. I'm you know, a little nervous. I'm kind of amped up. And his, uh, his assistant said, he's over at the mall. He's over at the Circle Center Mall. He wants to do a walking one-on-one with you. Why don't you go over to the mall and see if you can find him? <laughs> I was very concerned. You know, what is he doing at the mall and where is he? And he was actually at the AT&T store speaking to a young sales representative who had absolutely no idea who he was about their connected home products. And, and I joined him and he, he kept that conversation going for 20 or 30 minutes, just genuine curiosity, wanting to learn about the internet of things, wanting to learn about AT&T strategy, their products. And that like cemented it for me, like, like he's wired differently around learning. And you can imagine the thousand and one, things that he had to focus on that day, but he was really focused on learning. So he really, really clicks in at the vision level and then the day-to-day management and the focus. So I learned a lot about focus and priorities. We literally did a one-on-one, weekly one-on-one, focus on my top three priorities. And then we spent a lot of time on the V2 Mom, which um, has, has rightfully so received a lot of notoriety around kind of an amazing planning framework for uh, you know creating objectives could be around annual performance could be around an event could be around a special project so it was it was a lot of fun in summary i learned a lot from him he was so kind to me so supportive very respectful of the exact target culture and wanted me to continue to run exact target like a business unit where i was still ceo of the marketing cloud and everything special that we brought into salesforce would be retained so it was it was it was a great experience What's really interesting about that story too is that it also says he's relentless because you know, it was made public last year that AT&T and Salesforce joined to kind of revamp the whole customer experience. So, you know, years later, he never let go of that about how do you improve that experience. So for them to kind of publicly share about what they were doing, that makes it that makes the story even more interesting. Yeah, he absolutely. To give up on it. That's great. What, if you talk about kind of Salesforce, I'm, I'm interested in a little exact target roots, some of the connections back. Like, where have you seen some people that had those exact target roots kind of flourish with inside of Salesforce? Oh, so many, you know, so many. Probably the two best examples, Michael, would be Adam Blitzer, who's, you know, EVP and, and GM of the marketing cloud, the commerce cloud, the community cloud. Adam was the CEO of Pardot when we acquired Pardot, you know, back in October of 2012. Young guy, scrappy entrepreneur, hilarious. And, uh, and a great product visionary and, and great kind of young executive on the rise, you know, to see, to see Adam, you know, grow over the years at Salesforce and, and be responsible for the technology and the business unit of exact target. That's, that's pretty special. And then Andy Kofoid, 
was our VP of sales at Exec Target, outstanding leader and sales executive out of Chicago. And he's now uh, president of North America for Salesforce across all business units, running a remarkably large sales organization. So, so those are two, but there are dozens, if not hundreds of examples of ET alums that have just thrived at Salesforce and they, they just loved it. And, and so often they'll zip me a little note of thanks and gratitude that, you know, they got their start with the exact target and their careers just flourished with Salesforce. That's great to hear. That's, that's exciting. Well, let's, let's pivot a little bit. You're at, uh, you're at High Alpha. Maybe share with the group kind of what, what, what you're doing at High Alpha and what High Alpha is all about. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So almost six years ago, Michael, it's amazing. Probably six months after I left Salesforce, we started High Alpha with three very good friends and co-founders, uh, Christian, Mike, and Eric. We're about 40 people strong, and we are a venture studio that starts new SaaS companies, starts new cloud companies. And it's a really fun model. We're kind of one part startup studio. We're always dreaming of new ideas and new opportunities to apply technology and start new cloud companies. And then one part venture capital fund where we can fund those companies, but we can also invest in amazing entrepreneurs all around the world. And the duality of the two is really fun. So we're still wearing our operator's hat, building products, building teams, starting companies from scratch. But then we also get to wear the investor hat and, and I think have you know, kind of an inside track on what's happening in many geographies and many different pockets of SaaS and cloud technology. So it's a, it's a lot of fun. So what's exciting to see is in 2020, we've got great news just today, right? So you've got one of casted Series A, 7 million. I think you welcomed a new company, Demandwell. Did I capture that right? Yeah, exactly. you're, moving, you're moving so quickly in 2020, you launched the, the largest number of new companies in 2020 by a multiple of two. Like, right, how, right. like how did that, like, how is that happening during a pandemic? And what, like, what, what's going on at Alpha? How are you making this happen? <laughs> exactly. So, so you're right, Michael. Our pace for new co-creation has been three to four new SaaS companies per year, pretty, fairly consistent. In 2020, we launched 10 new companies. It, it, was, it was remarkable. And it was, it was an explosion of ideas, you know, really. And I think, you know, the best companies are started around interesting problems. And with the level of disruption that all of us experienced in 2020, there are a lot of new problems to solve and, and, and many new opportunities presenting themselves. And, and actually many really talented tech executives that wanted to throw themselves back into a startup, wanted to make a meaningful difference in the world. So it was that really combination, you know, a good way to think about high alpha is we're always kind of managing a pipeline of ideas, compelling ideas and problems to solve, and then a pipeline of people and talent. And we're, we're matchmaking, we're bringing those two together and then giving them a really strong platform of support to start and scale those companies quickly. Mandolin is one really extraordinary example. And thank you, by the way, for running the uh, Houndmouth concert tonight on the Mandolin platform. But as we all know, when, when COVID hit, you know, really kind of the music stopped playing. Venues and artists had no way to connect with their fans and continue to drive engagement and ultimately drive revenue for themselves. And we started Mandolin to, to solve that problem. And we we're so fortunate to recruit Mary Kay Hughes, who also was a, another shining star at Exact Target and Salesforce, most recently the chief operating officer for the marketing cloud to start that company with us. And here we are, you know, a little under a year in and Mandolin has been an enormous success story and has really made a difference in the world of music. So those are, those are fun stories and fun companies to be attached to. What, what are some of the key learnings your portfolio companies kind of were able to gain from this past year? Well, you know, I think like all of us have experienced, you know, Michael, working from home and Zoom and video technology has really leveled the playing field around talent. And it's opened up lots of new ideas and new possibilities. Okay, I, I would have never expected this to happen. We actually started a couple companies in 2020 where the co-founders had literally never met one another. And you're, you're, you're locking arms for like a decade, you know, run. Yeah. This is a marriage of sorts. And to be able to build enough chemistry and, and relational equity over video that you're actually comfortable starting a company together, that's, that's a big change. That's pretty transformative. And, and, I, and I'm sure at Lev and, and all the companies on the line, we're hiring people we've never met in person. So talent, I think, is, is kind of the new driver. And, and in many ways, it's just leveled the playing field where talented people can work for any company, anywhere, anytime. And companies, we really have to adjust 
we really have to adjust to create a special environment, both in office when we're able to get back together, but also remote to support the this new blended way of working. And I'm, I'm very excited and very energized by it. I think ultimately it's going to be a better outcome for people and their lives and their families. And it's also going to be better for businesses. Yeah, one of the things that's that's been interesting for us over the past, you know, we were acquired by Cognizant a little over a year ago. And what was interesting about that that partnership was being able to take Lev and, and be, move it globally. But we're, we're right in the middle of a pandemic and we're thinking, how do you go do that? And the most surprising thing, it's I'm not saying it's easy, but this whole idea of this level playing field and more everyone's accepting that we're working remote, what it's allowed us to do is be able to more aggressively move faster and moving into the UK and Europe and now looking into Australia and New Zealand. And I, I don't like if that would have happened two years ago, like I would have been on planes. Like we, we probably wouldn't have accomplished as much because we would have been on planes. So that's definitely something that we, we feel too, as far as how we're expanding, but also on the talent front, uh, how many people that we're hiring. That's great. It's exciting to hear. Well, I think, what, Michael, what are, I think that's an important point. I'll just build on that real quick is the, the idea of hyper-focus. And when we're all working from home every day, you're, you're forced to focus in ways that you probably haven't in the past and really focus on priorities. And I'm, we found that at High Alpha, and I'm seeing that across so many clients and companies we work with is they're, they're kind of cutting out you know, less essential activities and focusing on speed and decisiveness and, and what matters most. And decision cycles are really getting compressed in a really, really positive way. I think the biggest challenge is going to be once we start going back to work, how do we not lose that? And how do we create technologies and cultures that support employees who are in office and out of office in a way where everybody feels like they can contribute? There's a, there's a sense of belonging and a sense of contributing where everybody feels level. And it used to be that if you were a remote employee, you really had a difficult time connecting in. You know, you weren't a part of the jet stream, probably not a part of a lot of the decisions, hard to be the only person on video. This new world, we're going we're gonna to have a blend and companies are going to be forced to adapt and uh, and hopefully not lose a lot of the goodness that came from the last year. We we could spend a whole hour on this session, this topic, <laughs> because it's something that we're we're feeling very much right now. Because we we've done a good job of trying to prioritize. We're like our three big rocks that we're working on at this moment in time. And as you have a leadership team, you know that are spread across the U.S. You know, we're not just here in Indianapolis, and we're seeing that firsthand. Like trying to be connecting and finding like the right time when you can jump into a conversation versus when you're in a room, right? Those, those nonverbal cues that are so important, you miss out on those. And that is something that we, we've tried to spend a lot of time on. Like, how do we get out in front of this? Um, that maybe another high alpha company coming soon. Another idea. <laughs> Stay tuned. That's right. <laughs> so, I love it. What's on, on the, on the high alpha front, what you've got some great startups and again, cast has got some great momentum too in the B2B space and we're a cast customer, but not just specifically to cast but what, what are you seeing in your portfolio as far as of smaller companies? What are they focused on? They're thinking about digital marketing right now. We're, we're seeing a lot of, a lot of young companies, Michael focused on data and how that applies to machine learning and artificial intelligence. You know, and I, I think that's an exciting new horizon for marketers. You know, we've always had the benefit as digital marketers of having so much data, we're collecting so much data, and how do we leverage that? And, and how do we unlock that data to create the very best outcomes? And machine learning and AI only works if you have really large data sets. One of our portfolio companies, Pattern89, is AI-powered marketing for content, as an example, and content in the context of social ads. And what I would have never expected would be the data set a company like Pattern 89 could accumulate and anonymize on behalf of their clients, but their clients kind of plug in their social ad channels and then years worth of social ads and results, you know, come into the data set, come into the data lake, and then, and then the company's able to leverage that in some pretty remarkable ways to predict content performance before the content is even sent and distributed. So, so I think that's one example that's quite interesting. And I've, I've always thought what's, what's really illuminating and exciting about marketing technology is how do we automate more of the kind of day-to-day -day tasks that allow marketers to be strategic and, and, and take a real holistic approach 
to how they build technology and communications that connect with their customers. And, and you know, here we are many years into the marketing tech industry, and I still feel like we're kind of in the early innings. You know, there's still a lot of upside potential. Yeah, what, what to that point, there, there's every year I see like there's someone puts together a map of all the marketing tech solutions, yeah. right? And every year it's like you can't you can't decipher it. We keep adding more and more and more, and things continue to change. Like with what Google's doing uh, with cookies, moving to cookieless, and and how do you continue to catch up? And there's so many things going on with you know, protecting identity, PII. What what are are you seeing certain trends? And if you look out in the next several years, especially as you as kind of a marketing tech leader, saying what what do you think some of the future kind of building off of pattern eighty nine, but for other things that you're seeing, where do you think marketing tech is going to go over the next few years? What's going to be a priority for it? Well, Michael, I think I think this is the very essence of why what you're building at Lev is so important, you know, and why your clients you know really need to lean on such a smart strategic partner like Lev is to kind of make sense of it all. You know, and 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 make sure that these organizations are leveraging the vast array of technology that is available, but also adjusting to your point to kind of the changing macro environment. And I think that's always what's made digital marketing exciting is you've got the the acceleration of new technology, new capabilities, but you've got a landscape that's always changing. And the cookie list environment is a fantastic example. You know, marketers are gonna need strategic help and consultation to kind of navigate, you know, these new waters. So when we think about kind of the world of marketing tech, we are focused quite a bit on where are there opportunities for machine learning and AI, where are there opportunities to apply data, you know, in new ways. We also focus a lot on a thesis we call kind of coaching networks, which is software isn't, isn't really replacing the modern worker. It's augmenting the modern, modern worker. And the concept of a coaching network is that technology is coaching and guiding you on how to be better at your job. And there are a lot of really, really neat examples. There are examples within the sales tech space of Gong or Chorus, where the technology is kind of listening in on a call that a sales representative might have with a prospect and is guiding them on maybe the questions they need to be asking or when they need to be listening and doing discovery more than talking. And I see that that same principle making its way into the world of marketing tech. And I think that's gonna be a really kind of exciting new horizon. The other, the other element I, I think a lot about is I think we're still early innings of the customer journey. You know, we were, we were really excited to launch Journey Builder, you know, many years ago. And it's been really fun for me from a distance to see, you know, the infinite number of ways that Journey Builder and uh, our, our technology is being applied today. But I think we're still early innings of marketers having the know-how and the technology to kind of map every interaction and every step of that journey and make sure it's really optimized for the customer. And, and really looking very holistically at what are all the touch points my brand and company have with the customer and making sure that, that those are optimized for a great experience. It's, you know, it's search, it's Glassdoor. If you're a B2B company, it's Captera, it's G2 Crowd. It's um, what, what about social influencers? You know, it's kind of an infinite number of potential po- touch points that a customer prospect might have with your brand. And there's still a lot more potential in the area of digital marketing. Yeah, I, I, even from the Lev point of view, so much has changed in, in five years where we've gone from being very technical in what we're doing and bringing in, like truly bringing in many of the best, the best when it came to knowing exact targets. And, but the, the demands of our customers have changed significantly. It's not just about setting up, you know, doing data architecture. It really is about strategy. What are you trying to do? And it's not, it's not online. It's also, what are we doing from a uh, direct mail campaign? And how is that connected to those touch points? Things you just wouldn't necessarily have thought of five years ago that are becoming more the norm. And it's, 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 it's allowing us then to go do things we've never done before and bringing in people that are experts in those areas, which has been fun to see Lev kind of change in that way. I, I, don't, I don't think I would have talked about bringing in you know, data scientists and paid media experts five years. I would have said, oh, we don't, we don't need that. We just need to, we're going to set up a journey. We're going to set up data and we're going to be good. And, and uh, it's been so much fun to be much more uh, integrated in the success of a customer and that's just the expectation now. It's not. It can't just be about the technology, and that's the that's the part where I think the where it allows us to shine and allows, frankly, the people at Lev to learn new things as well. So it's not just yeah. about bringing in the expertise, but learning and developing. And it's so fun to see that with with so much so many of our our, our new new Levsers have joined over the past couple of years. Yeah, that's awesome. That's wonderful to hear. 
So kind of let's get back to culture. Like culture is, is such an important thing. This, this, we call it love life. And I, I'll, I'll tell this to a very larger group. I started Love Life uh, as a little bit tongue in cheek <laughs> when I first started it, and it actually turned into something real. Like we kind of embraced it as, as this culture. And I'm, I look back about the orange culture at Exact Target, how important that was. And a couple of years ago, I was, I was reading a Harvard Business Review article that talked about culture and brand that they are very much connected to each other. Uh, culture, and I, I say that all the time at Love, like our culture is our brand, our brand is our culture. But and I definitely learned a lot from exact target in the orange culture. How did that start? How did, where did that, be, where did that begin? And I'm looking at all the orange behind you as well, which I'm sure plenty of exact target yeah, <laughs> connections yeah, exactly. back to that, that culture too. So how did, how did it start? Was it, was it intentional and where did it end up? Yeah. Well, you know, hats off to you, Michael and the Lev team. I, I think your vision around brand equals culture and cultures, culture equals brand, you know, really, shines in everything you do. I just, I'm so impressed with everything I see from love from a design brand and marketing perspective. And, and you're right, those, those two are so connected. And if we, if we got the ball rolling in this regard, I think you've, I think you've like really, you know, really taken it to the next level for us to kind of, you know, turn back the clocks a little bit, you know, our culture started with core values. You know, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in core values are, the foundation for every company. And it really, they're kind of the guideposts around how you bring yourself to work every day, you know, what behavior is kind of embraced and celebrated. And, you know, we had a set of core values at, at, at Exact Target and our, our first one was treat people well. And that, that really, we really worked to kind of drive that into everything we did at Exact Target. We wanted to be competitive and confident in what we were building but we wanted to be like, you know, really humble and kind and, and treat, treat everyone with a tremendous amount of respect. So that was, that was kind of our anchor core value, but over time, and, and I, I know you experienced this at Lev, we, we just kept hearing from customers and prospects that there's something different about exact target. It's just everyone's energy, positive spirit, uh, working hard on behalf of the customer, working hard for one another. Like you could feel an energy when you interacted with an exact target team member or, or walked into our office. And our brand color at that time was orange. You can, you can definitely see some orange behind me, Michael. And it was actually our CMO, Tim Kopp, that brought me the idea of why don't we create a culture framework around the color orange? And, and prior to that, I would say our core values were very well articulated. Our culture we knew it was something unique and special, but we we had a hard time describing it, and we we didn't we didn't really have a framework, I think, to unlock its full potential. And we were right on the cusp of a tremendous amount of growth, starting to do acquisitions, starting to expand internationally, thinking about an IPO. So scaling culture was very very top of mind for us. So I'll tell you, very similar, Michael, to you rolling out Love Life, we rolled out. Uh, be orange uh, and orange is kind of our culture framework. And I, I was very unsure about how it was going to work. And I was really worried it was going to feel too corporate. I, I, I was really worried it was going to feel kind of maybe a little too forced. And we rolled, we rolled it out as a framework and really worked to create enough flexibility where employees could make it their own. And we talked about freedom within a framework. So we, we had a framework for culture and it was really up to our team members how they brought it to life. And they, they brought it to life in so many remarkable ways. Our, our onboarding program, uh, you know, became about, about being orange. Our leadership development program became, you know, leading orange. And it, it really became kind of the, the identity of our company. And in particular, when we started opening offices around the world or doing acquisitions, it was clearly the common thread you know, that really, really tied us together. And it was, it was more a, a feeling than it was, you know, necessarily words on paper. And it, it really came to life in just day-to-day -day actions and, and behaviors and attitude, you know, of our team members. And then, and then when it really became remarkable is when our customers felt like they were part of the culture. And I, I'm positive that if you're a love client, you do feel a part of love life. You do feel part of a purple and a part of the brand. And that's, what I think we unlocked at Exact Target, and that that was really really meaningful. I literally would get notes from new customers saying, "I can't wait to be orange," and uh, the, those notes always made me really happy. You, you talked about onboarding a little bit, and that was a that, would, from my point of view, was a key part of 
introducing people into a, a new culture, neo, uh, new new employee orientation, right? right. As a neo, and what's so fascinating is like people still know what who was in their neo class. Like I know people that were in my neo class. <laughs> How did like? Maybe go a little bit deeper into onboarding. That that is clearly a, was a differentiator. Like, how, how did that come about? And I mean, just tell me a little bit more about the story. Yeah, it was it was fun, Michael. So our, our program was called Officially Orange, and and Neo was yeah new employee orientation, and we we actually we flew every new employee into Indianapolis, regardless of location. Ooh, you can imagine the investment. We're flying employees mm-hmm. in from Munich and Sydney and Melbourne and Sao Paulo, Brazil. But it was it was just that important to us that they had the opportunity to build those foundational relationships and hear from me, you know, and many others in the company about our core values and, and why culture was so important to us. And we wanted to make sure as we scaled that we kept that intact. And, and frankly, we enhanced it. You know, I, I would be I would be asked often, Michael. From employees and others, how are we going to retain our culture? You know, in particular, as we grow in scale or we go from being a private company to a public company. And early days, I would give very legitimate answers, sincere answers around what we're going to do to protect and preserve our culture. And then and then over time, I realized that was that was not the right mindset or approach that culture is or it's organic. It it changes every day. It, it evolves with new hires and new products and new clients and the day-to-day behaviors and attitude of your team. And I really just became committed to enhancing and improving our culture every step of the way, rather than trying to protect something that might've felt right when we were a much smaller company. That's that's great. That's awesome to hear. One thing that, that kind of triggered a question, one thing that keeps me up at night, you know, going through this past year of pandemic and we've more than half of our people that we've hired have been remote. And we're all like we're this the space that we're in Salesforce the ecosystem continues to grow really well. Um, in fact, I looked at the Salesforce's financials from Q4. I believe marketing and commerce were growing. I, I want to say 24 to 27 percent year over year. So still like mm-hmm. phenomenal growth. What keeps me up is that you know we don't we can't fly people in. You can't we can't do all the things that we could before to unite people. And I read an article um, that was about um, that the cost to change are at the lowest point ever. And I think that really applies to, right. to jobs as well, because we're so disconnected from each other. Like what, what are some things that you're seeing, especially with hiring all these people and startups to help re, you know, continue to retain people, knowing that the switching costs are really at the lowest point because you don't have that physical, you talked about the CEOs that have never met each other, co-founders. How do you see, what do you think about how do we get on top of that to make people feel grounded in something true? I feel like it's somehow connected back to the culture. A phenomenal question, Michael. I think it's a challenge every business is facing. You're right, because our, our talent mobility is at an all-time high. And, and also, I think just the reflection that everyone's gone through over the last year, if you're going to kind of rethink and reprioritize your life, you probably have done it You know, over, over the last year. And you're right, the switching costs are very, very low. So I think it's incumbent upon great companies and leaders to lean in even more on culture. You know, and I think it's the companies with the with the strongest cultures who are going to thrive and succeed. And those those who don't are going to see a lot of employee turnover. And I think you're going to be the most challenged. So I think it's it's leaning in on what you already do well and being really thoughtful and intentional about how to create special experiences when it just may not be possible to be together. And then really, really plan for what does the future look like when we can be together? And it, it probably doesn't mean we're in the office five days a week, but creating special events and, and special experiences are really needed, you know, to keep that keep that bond and attachment. Kind of back in the day at Exact Target, when we held a, a quarterly company meeting, we viewed it as like a mini user conference. You know, I mean, it was stage and lights and music, and, and there was a lot of really sincere, genuine content, but we wanted to create such a remarkable experience for our employees that they just love the company even more. And they were even more committed to serving our customers. And that, that was always kind of my belief and philosophy was that if, if you create a remarkable company where people can really be their best and feel a sense of belonging and can grow their career and their lives, they're going to take amazing care of your customers. Like that, that will just happen. And it's not because you as a CEO are asking them to work hard or go the extra mile. They want to do it. They love the work and they, and they, they love their, their coworkers, you know, and they're, they're going to put in the extra effort and go the extra mile. So I think 
I think it's leveraging the cultural pillars that are in place and then being really thoughtful and intentional about how to transform them into this new world. One, one of the things I took away from you um, that I started when I moved into the role of CEO at Lab was, was sending out a Friday note. We, you know, our people are all across the, the US and now they're across the world at this point. And, it's, and I've kind of adapted to be my own style. But what was the, what was the story? Why did you decide to do that? Hey, real quick, tell me about your own style, though, Mike. I'd love to hear a little more about, about your Friday communication. You know, I, I think one of the things I've, I've really embraced that, that truly, I, this is this is this is very sincere. Over the past five years, I, I've this is like the most I've felt like myself, like being true to who I am. Nice. And I, I think it's it's the most comfortable I've felt as far as just being like, hey, I'm I'm an introvert. This is what's important to me, but I can still be very transparent. And so it's it's what it's freed me up to just like I, I talk about all kinds of things. I talk about. Um, being a dad, I talk about being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and what it's like to live, you know, every, every day, um, the good and the challenging. And so I just felt like it was a best, it was an avenue for me, for people who, who to really see who I am. And so most of my Friday notes are, 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 are really just really genuine. And I stopped like, stopped using a format. I think when I first started, I had a specific format. I wanted to go do these things. And when I let go of that format and just was writing whatever was top of mind for me, like that's that's when people got the truest sense of who who I am as a person, and hopefully they see me who as I am a leader. So I've turned into I love I love my Friday notes, and uh, that's how I've kind of adapted them over over time. Good for you, Michael. That's that's really that's really wonderful, and that authenticity of like being like open in yourself and transparent. That's what creates amazing teams and cultures, you know, and creates that, that bond, you know, that's really genuine and authentic. So, you know, hats off, hats off to you for doing it. And I'm honored if you, if you maybe picked up the tip or the idea, you know, from, from my journey at ET. So this was, this was 2009. We, we actually filed to go public right before the financial crisis of 08. And we were, we were unsuccessful. We were, we were stuck on file for pretty much all of 2008, which was really challenging. We had to update our S1 every quarter. We had to share our financials for the world to see and our competitors to see. And we're in this period called the quiet period where you really just kind of can't say much and you really can't make any future statements. So we felt, we felt stuck. And our employees were feeling it and they were, they were feeling the lack of communication and transparency that were hallmarks for us. And I wanted to do something dramatic, Michael, to just hopefully never hear that again. I, it, it kind of broke my heart that employees felt out of the loop or they felt out of touch with me or weren't really sure what we were working on or what was most important at any one given time. So we launched the Friday note and I made a commitment that uh, you know, rain or shine, Friday afternoon, you know, boom, that Friday noon is going to hit the inbox. And, and uh, you know, we used exact target technology, which was nice, you know, so these emails were, you know, beautifully designed and, you know, had, had pictures and video, but they were authentic. And to your point, they were, they were written in my words and it was a, a snapshot into what I was focused on that week, what, uh, what, what I cared about, where I was traveling, meetings that I was, I was having, but, but it became so much more. It became, it became a platform for, you know, surfacing challenges that we were facing or celebrating, you know, highlights and accomplishments that were happening throughout the company. And it, it really took on a life of its own, like way beyond what I would have expected. And in a couple really, really unique ways. One of them is that I made sure that the, you know, reply came right back to me. And I really encouraged our employees to please respond to me occasionally. Let me know you're out there. And, mm-hmm. uh, and they sure did. They, they started with um, ideas. They started with challenges that maybe I was unaware of. And they started sending me in pictures and ideas to get into the Friday notes. So it, it, became, it became a wonderful way for me to keep a pulse on what was happening throughout the company and then build these one-to-one relationships. And every, every response I ever received to a Friday note I made sure to reply and, and take action upon the idea or the feedback. So, so the, the pictures started flowing in, the content started flowing in, the Friday notes kind of started writing themselves. And uh, it just became a really wonderful way uh, to communicate really openly and transparently while we're going through this hyper growth. Well, fast forward to, uh, you know, a year after the acquisition, I, I've kind of made a decision to, 
move on and, and open a new chapter of my life. And I had, I had so many people, Michael, saying, you know, you need to write a book and you've got to kind of capture this exact target story. And it occurred to me that uh, I already had. It was, it was five years of Friday notes, five and a half years of Friday notes. So my, uh, my going away present to all of our team members, I, I, brought, you, I brought a copy today, is, uh, is uh, five, years, five years of Friday notes. And it, it literally is, uh, it literally is every Friday note uh, that I wrote for five and a half years. And it's just like this amazing chronicle of what we accomplished and how we built the company kind of week by week. So, uh, so this has become, this has become a really nice keepsake for all of us. Uh, that's tremendous. I, I don't know if mine will turn into a book. I, I hope maybe there's some pieces sure. of it, but there's, there's no, no pressure, but that's, that's definitely exciting to hear. Some things we've kind of chronicled along our way too, going from you know, only a couple people here in, in Indianapolis. We have a great picture. It's like our very first co-working. Well, actually, I always, this is a funny story because people misinterpreted it the first time it came out. When I first left Salesforce, and I was trying to figure out where I was going to work from because we had a uh, at that point an eight year old, eight month old, and I knew it wasn't going to it wasn't going to be from home for a while. So I had a friend that uh, let me work out of her uh, uh, flower shop because she did basically like kind of weddings and so forth. So that was the very first location. She had it shut down for a while, so I worked at her flower shop. So the story kind of starts morphing where people thought I was a florist that turned into the CEO <laughs> of Live. It's not the case. But we do have this great visual of, of this, this house and then our co-working spaces up to where we are right now, which has been uh, an incredible journey. And, and again, thank you for being such a critical part of, um, of laying the foundation and roots and orange and exact target. And we're, we're going to continue to carry it forward, albeit in a different color, but who we are. But it's, it's exciting. So Scott, I just wanted to, to, to as we kind of wrap up, just uh, again, thank you for being here. Thank you for share, kind of sharing your topics, your thoughts on Exact Target and what's going on with High Alpha and, and culture and importance. Uh, so thank you again. Oh, thanks, Michael. This was uh, this was a really joyful uh, walk down memory lane for me. And congrats on everything you built at Lev and everything you're going to build in the future. And uh, you know, my uh, my uh, gratitude goes to everyone joining us today. To uh, you know, keep uh, keep digital marketing alive and innovating, and uh, we've got a really bright future together. So this was a real treat for me. Thank you, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Scott. And this was a great kickoff to Ultraviolet. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. 